You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. I'm a little warm. I'm going to take this off real quick. Uh, oh, wait. Did you think I wouldn't even do that, really? You don't know me at all, do you? I mean, I've waited 58 years. I'm not going to get another one. So I will wear this as long as it takes. I might be wearing it next week for all you know. There used to be a nursery rhyme written a long time ago. It said something like this, what are little boys made of? Snips and snails and puppy dog tails. And what are little girls made of? Sugar and spice and everything nice. Clearly written by a mad woman. (laughs) Prom date didn't turn out well. I don't know how it happened, but... Uh, apparently, this is a little nursery rhyme that was written in the 19th century, but what that shows you is that this battle of the sexes is nothing new, right? And in a silly way, that nursery rhyme is attempting to answer the question that is still being asked and debated, what is man and what is woman? What does that mean? What does it mean to be man and woman? And what we're seeing right now in this country, in this culture, is that that question is being answered differently than it has ever been answered before, right? There's always been struggles, always been battles, but that is, it is not being answered the same way. And all, you don't have to go very far. Just look at your average college application where you can be one of 18 things you're applying as. I'm a biological male identifying as a female or a they or a they or an it. Or a, I mean, there's all sorts of just confusion out there. Right? On what does it mean to be man and what does it mean to be woman? And so we're going to start just dealing with those things a little bit today. A few weeks ago, we, we started a series on the book of 1 Timothy. We called it House Rules because Paul is writing to basically let Timothy know here is how things work in the house of God, the church. And so week one, we looked at that there should be truth, but truth that produces love. That's rule number one. And, not, and two weeks ago... We looked at the fact that we are supposed to be motivated by mercy, that mercy drives us, that mercy is our story, and that we are showing mercy. That's rule number two. Last week, David taught on prayer, and and very clearly, prayer is a rule in the church, right? It's it's one of our specs, right, that we talk about, that what we're trying to grow into. Um, We're moving into a section of the book that is going to be very gender-specific, all right, gender-specific topics. And one of our goals, we gather, here's, here's kind of, we keep this out in front of you. We gather, grow, and go. We gather to be equipped. We grow into those specs so that we can go and be the church. But the key, the starting place there is that we gather to equip. And one of the things that we want to equip you with is a biblical worldview, a distinctly Christian worldview. In fact, our specs what we're trying to grow into, the first one is scripture, that we submit to the scripture, that we follow what Jesus says through the word of God. And so in, in our culture, does not always line up with what God says. And so we want to be, as the people of God, distinctly Christian, especially on issues like this that aren't going anywhere. Because when you stray from truth, there is chaos. Paul is dealing with chaos in Ephesus because there's false teachers who are disrupting truth. And when you have false teaching, you have false living. 
And what we're going to see is there is insubordination and angry people and haughty people and immodest people and divisive people. And so what Paul is going to do next week is he's going to go back to the beginning. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to go back to the beginning and and we're going to take a pause from Timothy because I need to establish a couple foundational pieces for us before we jump into this this next section in 1 Timothy 2, which is highly controversial. Some of you are like, oh, I can't wait to hear Fowler. You're going to have to wait for Fowler one more week, all right? Because, because we got a lot of new Christians, and we got a lot of folks that have, you know, maybe been listening to all these different things, and we got to lay a groundwork, a foundational piece this week. And there's two things that I want you to grasp, just two, that'll help us for next week, all right? Two foundational pieces as we talk about manhood and womanhood and all these things. And so we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. So turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Genesis 1. Can't get further back to the beginning than that. And we're just going to kind of, I'm going I'm I'm to go fast. So you're all going to keep up. Um, we're not going to get everything, but we're going to move. But I want to establish these two things that will help us really build uh, as we talk about these, these areas in the next couple weeks. We start where everything else starts, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I just want to start with an obvious observation. That God is the creator. That, that Colossians says that by Christ and through Christ and for Christ, all things were created. He is the potter. We are the clay. And the reason this is important is because the clay doesn't get to say to the potter, I don't like this. All right? Because there is clearly intent and design and beauty in what God does. And it is Good. There is intentionality. There is a purpose, right? And when you go against purpose, you, you, you don't function the way it's supposed to. So often in my house, I don't know how this happens, the hammer goes missing. Don't know where the hammer goes. Doesn't walk. A dog doesn't take it. But can't find a hammer. And so I will see my wife, and she'll have a nail, and she will have not a hammer, but an ice cream scooper. <laughs> and she'll be, you know, trying to get this thing into the wall. And, you know, it kind of sort of works. I mean, you know, it slides off because it's rounded and, you know, it never can go into a stud because it doesn't have enough weight behind it. Uh, and so the picture is eventually going to fall or rip the sheetrock, which I'm going to have to patch. But it, that's not the design. That thing is meant to scoop briars, cookies, and cream into the cone. Can it work? Kind of, yes. That's not the intent, though. It is best used in the ice cream Right? And, and so God has a best use of, of how he's created things. And everything is good. I mean, you read through Genesis 1. We don't even have time to look at it. He says, God saw that it was good. Day 2, God saw that it was good. Day 3, God saw that it was good. 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 All the way down, it's good. What he does is good. And after, on, he gets to day 6. Day 6 is a big day for us as people. Right? It's good, 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 good. There's a little bit of break in the rhythm when he comes to day six. Look what he says in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. It's just been going, going, going. All of a sudden now, the Trinity is having a conversation. They're speaking to each other, and they say, okay, we're going to make man. It's mankind, not men. It's all of man, male and female. We're going to make them in our image. This is what theologians call the the imago Dei, the image of God, right? That's, that's 
this huge piece that makes man and woman different and distinct. So out of the overflow of joy and fellowship and love of the Trinity, and they're kind of she's painting the canvas of, of creation in this huge, vast universe. Billions and billions of stars and on this little dirt spot in the middle of one of the smaller solar systems and the smaller galaxies, God puts the crown jewel of his creation, that which will be distinct from all else, that which reflects him in a way that nothing else does. He puts men and he puts women in his image. And together it says that they are to have dominion. They're to function as his viceroys. That's, that's a, a fancy word. It's not some cheesy, you know, attack of the clones, you know, from Star Wars. It's, it's someone who represents a sovereign who is there, uh, there on their behalf, that we are God's viceroys. He is the sovereign, and we have been given authority to have dominion and to govern as we represent him. And it, it is a huge piece. And because of it, Men and women, both male and female, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both male and female carry equally the image of God and are distinct and valuable above all else in creation. And here's how that plays out. Just let me give you an example. So in my family, we have six people. I got three boys, one girl. I have an adopted cat named, I don't know what its name is, but everyone just calls it Kitty. Real original, Right? No one really likes the thing anyway, but it's all right. And, and that's not true. My wife does. Um, and then we have a 90-pound mutt named Milton, okay? So if, let's, let's assume things go sideways in the Fowler house, lose the job, we're broke, we can't barely feed anybody. Here's the question. Someone's got to go. Who goes? Uh, amen, the cat. Now, there's probably some, there's a, there's some debate amongst the family about who goes. Right? But here's what's not said. You know, your daughter, she's expensive. Amen, that is true. In fact, all of my kids, the, the cat and the dog together, are not even a tenth as expensive as my kids, each one of them. I mean, that dog is easy. It's 40 pounds of food a month. Have a nice day. We don't care if he's got fleas. I don't really care. I'm not giving you medicine. I don't really care. I'll put you in the garage. I mean, they're cheap. It cannot be a mathematical thing. All right, this is not like, let's clear up some salary cap space. Which foul are we getting rid of, okay? It's not that. It can't be which one's the easiest because the cat is the easiest. You put some food out once in a while and you have a nice day. Go. I don't want to see you. That's easy. Much easier than my kids. So it can't be that. And really... It can't be an obedience thing because, quite honestly, Milton obeys me better than my kids most of the time. So it can't be a, a math thing and it can't be... So wh- wh- when it comes down to it, no one's saying, get rid of your daughter, get rid of your youngest son. He's kind of the you know, smallest anyway. He's the run of the litter. I mean, no one's saying that. What we're saying is what? Cat or dog? Probably cat. Why? Because we know that there's something inherently valuable about being human. And it's because we are made in the image of God. It's the difference between when my, when Milton gets to be old and he's bumping into things and he can't see and he, you know, he's losing his, you know, losing his mind and he doesn't like being alive anymore. What are we going to do? We're going to take him down to the vet and the sweet vet's going to give him a sweet little shot to make him go to sleep so he can drift off and chase those kitties and those golf carts in the sky to the glory of God, right? And, and it's a sad day, but that... 
No one has a problem with that. No one comes to my house, you're a dog killer, dog killer, dog killer, right? But we don't do that with grandma. Well, grandma's losing it. <laughs> Let's take her down to the vet. <laughs> my mom will be happy to know that we're not doing that. But why? Because she has dignity, because she is made in God's image. So it doesn't matter whether or not her health or her mind or what. She has value because of the Imago Day. Milton, no one's getting mad about that. No one's getting mad that I'm going to eat a bacon sandwich to the glory of God and, oh, you killed Wilbur. Oh. No, because there's something distinct about being man and woman, male and female, Imago Dei. This is why later in Genesis, God says this. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? It's an image of God thing. This is why the death penalty was there, because it's like supposed to show the value of a human life, one human's life's value. And so this is how we were created. And after the creation of men, it says in, in verse 31, God saw everything and it, it was very good. It's so interesting to me. It was only good, 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 good. And then after men and women are made, it's now very good. There's something distinct about who we are and how we have been created. And here's the kind of first foundational piece that we need to grasp. And it's a biggie. Is that this, is that men and women are both equal in value. Why? Because we are both image bearers, right? And it has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with background. It has nothing to do with ability. It has nothing to do with any of that. Intrinsic value rests on the Imago Dei, equal in God's image. And we got to say that because we have a world that will say this, they believe that. Yeah, yeah, everyone's equal. But in reality, that is not what we believe. Because where we place more value then is who's got big money? Who's got the big job? Who's got more authority? Who looks a certain way? Who gets more things done? That's where we, I mean, we say equal, but then when we really do it, but this person, they're more significant because they have this much to offer and he's a this and she's a that. That's how we function even though we, we don't say it. And we do it in the church, even though we don't really, we don't, oh no, we would never do that in the church. Do it all the time. We say things like this. The highest calling for a woman is to be a mother and a wife. Really? What about those women who can't have kids? I guess they'll never reach their highest calling, huh? Or, or maybe God's called them to be single, and, and that's the gift that he's given them. Or maybe it's a single mom. So you tell me, the highest calling is this, something that you've made up, and this person will never get it. What you've done is said, you're only valuable if you perform. That's what you're saying. You, it may sound spiritual. It counts in Bible terms, right? The highest calling is to be made in God's image, following the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. And then and you carry that into your job. You carry that in your marriage. You carry that if God gives you kids. But it's, it's not higher or lower. There's no more or less value Right? So Paul says, when he's dealing with this in Galatians, he says there's no Jew or Greek or slave or free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ. There's equal value in the kingdom. We are all, look at the word, heirs according to the promise. You are a prince. You are a princess. Right? Just like in Narnia. Once a prince and princess in Narnia, always a prince and princess. Once a king and queen in Narnia, always a king and queen. That is who we are. Equal. Right? Regardless of performance, regardless of anything, right? That's a huge piece. But here's the, here's the kicker. This is where the rub begins, right? Is that equal 
does not mean same. And we have a world that wants it to be same. And so if you, you they're pushing sameness, right? And so if, if you're a woman who wants to make equal with men because you're better or you have just as much skill, what do you have to do? You don't, now you have to act like a man to get paid what you deserve. Instead of just being able to be a woman who deserves to get paid because she's doing a good job. And we're forcing sameness, right? Instead of celebrating the fact that we are not the same. We are equal, but that doesn't mean we are the same. Both are equal. Both have dominion. But he says male and female. That's different. Masculine and feminine. That is different, right? There is a unity and a diversity in God's creation. That is the way it is supposed to be. You know why? Because God is a God of unity and diversity. He is one God, three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. They are one, but they are distinct. There is unity. There is diversity. In the rest of creation, there is unity and diversity. You have let there be light, and there is dark. You have let there be sea, and there is land. Let there be heaven. There is earth. Let there be sun. There is moon. There is, there is unity, but there is diversity. There is male. There is female. They are the same, but they are distinct. And it is good. Y'all, it is part of the beautiful design. And so here's the second foundational piece. Men are, and women are equal, and men and women are both unique. They're unique. And what we mean by unique is equal in value, but ordained with distinction. Right? I mean, how many, there's so many ways there's uniqueness. Physically, emotionally, right? A, a woman's brain and a man's brain, completely unique in the way they function. Kids, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways. And, and one of the big ways is that men and women were both made in God's image to reflect different aspects of the image of God. Right? There's some similarities there, but, but women specifically were, were carry the idea that God is beautiful completely different than guys. It's just the way it is. Right? They are, and they are meant to, this idea that God is beautiful, does beautiful things. A woman carries that significantly different. So when, when a, a guy is flipping through the Winter Olympics and it's ice skating, ice dancing, where's the bobsled? Where's those luge people? People dying and flying off the thing. That's my kind of thing, right? But, but a, an eight-year-old girl, she sees ice skating and she recognizes beauty and she's mesmerized and they're wearing pretty dresses and sparkly and isn't that beautiful and elegant. Why? Because they carry beauty in a different way. They recognize beauty in a different way. No 16-year-old boy is like, Dad, can you take me to the mall so we can look tuxes for the prom? That's, he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, the black one. I want the black one. But, but for the girl, the, the, the beauty of wearing this dress and the prom, it's huge. On a wedding day, no one cares about the dudes down front. No one's looking at them. No one cries about them. Everyone cries about her. Oh, she's so pretty. Wasn't he? Oh, wasn't he so handsome? Oh, he's so handsome. No one cares. No one even cares. Okay. Did you see what he was wearing? Yeah, tux, black. It was great. <laughs> Took him like three minutes to pick it out. It's just something different, right? It's, it's the way it is. It, it's, God has created uh, women to be more nurturing in the way that they reflect God's nurturing. It's not that men can't be nurturing. They can. But women carry that in a completely different way. When a, when a guy takes his kid to the playground and the kid hurts his knee, he's like, yeah, hey, you'll be fine. Rub some dirt in it. It's part of his nurturing nature. 
But, but his mom, oh, let me, let me you know, get a Band-Aid and Neosporin and we're going to wash it. And, oh, you know, I mean, it's just a different way we do things. It is good. It's just the, it's the way God has wired us. Men, you, you carry the idea of sacrifice differently than, than a woman. It's not that a woman can't sacrifice. She clearly does. But when it's dark and there's a bang downstairs, no husband says, I got the last one. You got this one. Honey, my shotgun's under the bed. Go, you know, load it up. <laughs> Let me know if you need me. I'm up here. I got your back. Okay, that's, he, he is a coward. When the Titanic is going down, they're not like, okay, girls, let's ready. Ready? Once, twice, three, shoot. Who goes? All right, honey, you stay with the ship and Leo DiCaprio, I'm out. The men die. That's what they do. And there's, and, and we... We understand that because it's the way we are wired up. And, and, and we're not talking gifts or personality. There's leadership gifts. There's different, all these things. But what we're talking about is, is a distinctness in the way we carry and reflect the image of God. God didn't want us to carry it in the same, right? He wanted us to complement, not compete, complement each other, to actually com- complete. It's kind of that Jerry Maguire, you complete me. She's, yes, but true, it is part of the design. It's the way God created. So that you're a hammer hammering a nail and a, and a scoop for ice cream and not vice versa. And we as a church need to start thinking this way again and not letting the culture to say, no, but it's this and this. They don't know what they speak of. They didn't create it. Right? God did. God did. And so, and it's significant, the distinctions are, disti- are, are significant, not in value, but in just and how these things are carried out, because there's roles and responsibilities that are tethered that we'll get into next week. But let me show you why. Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is a big picture story of the creation. Genesis 2 zooms in on day 6. It's kind of a microscope. You know, you get the big picture, and then day 2, I mean, day 6 is kind of zoomed in in Genesis 2. Here's what happens, real fast. There's no bush of the field. I mean, the bush in the field and the land and the small plant had not yet sprung up, right? Because the Lord had not caused it to rain yet. And here's a, here's a significant piece. There was no man to work the ground. So when God created everything, there was, it, was, it was good, but it wasn't complete. It was designed to be full of potential that people were supposed to pull out of it, right? It, it needed Ben Franklin to fly his kite with a, with a key to discover electricity. It needed this and that. It had all that potential wrapped up, and it was man's job to cultivate. The problem is, at this point, there's no man. You got this, all, this earth that's got all this potential, and there's no one to work it. So what does God do? He takes the dirt of the ground, and he creates man. And it is man. It's not mankind at that point. He makes Adam, right? There's a need the earth ha- needs something, and so to meet that need, God creates Adam. He creates Adam. And then he takes him, verse 15, and he puts Adam in the garden to keep it. All right, so he's given him a job. And then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For that day you shall surely die. He's given him a job. He's given him authority. Now he's given him instructions. You can do anything you want, just don't eat that. Got it? Got it. Repeat that back to me, Adam. How many rules do you have? One rule, God. What is the rule? Don't eat the one tree. Very good. Everything else you can do. You can do whatever you want. Run around, do whatever you want. Just don't eat that tree. He's given him a job. He's given him authority. He's given him instructions. 
Big question. Here's the million dollar question. Where is Eve? Eve does not exist yet. She's not alive. she's, She's not there. Right? It's after this, after God has given him a job, authority, instruction, he says, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So it's up to this point, everything's been good, 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 very good, not good. It is not good that Adam will be alone. Why? Because he cannot do this task I've given him by himself. Like, he can't do it. Okay? Just like the earth needed something. So out of the earth, he makes Adam. Now, Adam needs something. He needs a helper that is fit. And the word helper, I know in English it has a negative connotation. Don't hear the negative. It's not negative in the Hebrew. The Hebrew is a robustness, a strength. It's the one who does something because you can't do it. The one who is fit, that complement, that essential counterpart, that indispensable strength. That is the idea. Adam is helpless. He cannot do it. So what does God do? He gives him one who's going to empower him. It's not by accident that the word helper is the same word used for the Holy Spirit who comes alongside, who empowers, who comforts, who strengthens. That's the picture. Okay, so get it. The earth needs something. God takes the earth and he makes man. Man needs something. So what does God do? He takes out of the man and he creates what he needs. And so there's this great image and and I think that uh, the, the great theologian of the 19th century, Matthew Henry, says it this way. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, not on his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. That's a great image of what's going on. So God causes Adam to fall asleep. He pulls out a rib. He fashions the woman. He brings the woman to him. He says, this is at last, bone of my bone. He's desperate. It's only been like three hours since he's been made, but he's already desperate. Um, This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then what does he do? He names her. Isn't that interesting? He says, she shall be called woman, Isha in the Hebrew, because she was taken out of Ish. He names her. Why? Because he's he's responsible. God's given him a task. God's given him a job. He's naming all the animals. And and she's not an animal, but he says, but she shall be like, she's like me, but she's she's different. Right? And therefore, a, a man shall leave his father and mother. They don't have mother and mother. That's written for us to show us what marriage looks like. To hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Right? She's the perfect complement. And notice there is no shame. There is no fear. There is no anger. There is no jockeying. It's perfect. Perfect. The way it was supposed to be. And here's a big question for us, Right? Why does God do it this way? Because, I mean, there's several things. God, could God have done all seven days like this? Boop. Done. Yes. God could have done it that way. He, he, it didn't take him, like, let there be light. There's light. And he waits a whole other 24 hours, really? I mean, he could have done it all at once, right? And, and why does he create why does he do it distinct with men and women? Like, he didn't do that with the hippopotamuses and the crocodiles and all the furry creatures. He just makes two, boom, two, boom. He just makes, the, you know, the man and the woman version of that every, every, at the same time. But when it comes to Adam and Eve, he makes it distinct and separate. Why does he do that? Why does he take seven days? Because he's trying to teach something. 
Seven days. Why? Because we're going to have a week and we're going to have one day where we worship and rest and don't work seven days a week because it'll kill you. And God is modeling what he wants us to do. He doesn't tired. It's not like God needs to take off on Sundays. Same thing with this. He is trying to teach that there is an actual order to the universe and there is an order to his creation and there's going to be an order in the family and there's going to be order in the church has nothing to do with value because we've already established that we're all equal, but there's order. The whole creation has order. The solar system, these stars are not just kind of flying aimlessly around. They go around in order. There's gravity. There's order there. There's different levels of oxygen and nitrogen and all these things in the air because there's order. Everything has order. The Trinity, y'all, has order. Who's more important, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Trick question. If you say any of them, you're wrong. They're all just equally important. All fully God. But yet Jesus says, I do whatever the Father tells me to do. Wait, I thought you were God. I am God. I thought you were as important as the Father. I am. But why are you doing? Because there's order. And the Spirit is proceeding from the Father. The Father sends the Spirit. The Father sends, I mean, Jesus sends the Spirit. Well, Spirit, I thought you were God. I am. Uh, Well, then why are you getting sent? Because we are one and we are equal, but we have distinct roles inside this triune God. And it's, we are, are a reflection of him. So it's natural that there is order. And it is good. Right? That's, that's why it says they're naked and not ashamed. And everything's great and fine and dandy until Genesis chapter 3. What happens? Satan. Right? So now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts in the field that the Lord had made. And what does he do? He goes to Eve. Remember, Eve wasn't even there for the original instruction. Adam had to give them to her. And so he's, and he goes to her, did God really actually say you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what he said? And she said, we may eat of all the trees. Isn't that great? Think about this. They had one rule. They can do whatever they want, eat whatever they want. They just got one thing they can't do. And what does Satan do? He zooms in on that one thing. And she said, you, well, no, we can't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle or touch it, which is not necessarily true. They were able to touch it. They could throw a baseball with it if they want. They just weren't supposed to eat it. Uh, but Satan says, no, that's not the way it is. You won't die. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You, God is holding back from you, Eve. <laughs> he's, he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows if you eat this, you're just going to be like him. And so he's trying to keep you down. The man is trying to keep you down. You need to go get some of that fruit so you can be like God. Right? And she buys it and she grabs it and she eats it, and she gives it to her husband, it says, who was right there, sitting there the entire time, watching this all unfold, right? And what has Satan done? It's so subtle, y'all, but it's so, it's so deceitful, and it's so him. He has taken the order of creation where God leads the man who lovingly leads his wife, and together they have dominion over the creation. He has flipped the order of creation so that now that Satan, the creation, is leading the wife to, di- to leads the husband to disobey God. It just flips everything right upside down. Just in a little bit of a, hey, did God really say? And boom, everything explodes, right? And the curse of sin has infiltrated everything. And so then they're hiding, you know, they make fig leaves and they're hiding and they hear God calling and, the, and they hide, right? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of God. Before they were naked and not ashamed, there was no fear, there's no nothing. Now they're hiding. And the Lord God calls. Notice who God calls. Whose fault is this? He calls the man. Wait a minute. It was her. It was her. She did it. No, no. He was responsible. 
So he says, where are you? And Adam says, I was hiding. I heard you and we were naked. God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the tree? And what does he do? I mean, he sells his wife out faster than a Braves trip to the playoff. <laughs> the woman you gave me. It, in fact, since you gave it her to me, then isn't it kind of your fault? I mean, you know that. God, I've only known her for like a couple hours, but man, that woman's cray-cray. <laughs> when she gets her mind set on things. And that's kind of your fault, God, because you made her. I was doing just fine, just me. And she looks over at him. That's how it's going to be, huh? That was an interesting night at the Adam and Eve household. But what does she do? She sells out the snake. It's a snake. This, the woman, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Right? But from that point on, this battle of the sexes. And so, and then, and, and what happens next is God says, here's the result. Here's the curse of sin. Right? And he's going to speak to the, to the Eve and he's going to speak to the Adam and he's going to say, this is what's going to happen because of this. And so first to her, he says to the woman, because of this, I will multiply your pain in childbirth. That is true. I've seen it happen four times. Epidural and all. God bless the epidural, but it's still, it's still there. That which was supposed to be a blessing right now is painful. But even more than that, it says, and your desire shall be contrary to your husband. The idea there is you're going to want to control your husband. But yet he's going to rule over you. And if you look around in the world today, and for the last five, 6,000 years of, of history... Men have abused and dominated and been cruel to women far more than they have been reversal. I mean, you don't hear about sexual harassment hardly ever for men. It's always that this woman was abused. And you can see it in the whole Me Too. You go across the, the world. Who is abused? Who, who, who has to hide in, in, in Middle Eastern countries their face? Who is not worthy to come out and actually show even more than their eyes? It is by far. Far a male-dominated world, and it's all because of the curse. It's not good. It's not because of God. It's like this is the way. This is what. This is it. Pornography is by far more abusive of of women, although it affects men too. It, it's just not even close. Why? It's all because of this. Men are jerks because of the fall. That's the bottom line. This is why some people, oh, we just need to get back to the good old days, to the 50s. Really? When women were undervalued, devalued, underpaid? That's what you, really, that's what you want? You think the church is supposed to go back to the 50s? That's not what we're talking about. We want to go back to the garden, not the 50s. Not the 1910s when, when, when women couldn't vote. I mean, so we have this like, glorified view of the past, right? The past is, is full of brokenness. And what we need in the church is a redeemed view Right, a redeemed view of what it means to be men and women, um, and the reason why there's so much pushback when we talk about men and women in distinction is because there's been so much brokenness. Because when I say equal but distinct, what we hear as Americans, we go back to separate but equal, which was a train wreck. Because it was it was not that, and we see the failures of racism and sexism and and all these things. And we say, that, well, that's what we're trying to get back to? No, we're not trying to get back to. We're trying to get back to a redeemed view of men and women. But it's, it's because of abuse, there's so much hesitancy. It's because men have dominated and be, been patriarchal and cruel and harsh. 
and not she's my equal out of my side. I am supposed to shepherd and love her like Jesus loves his church and give her value. Because we haven't seen that, that's why there's so much pushback. Because no one's questioning the love and care and provision and concern of Jesus for his church. And that's supposed to be what the husband and wife relationship's like. So this is a struggle. And so ladies, your, your core sin because of Eve is going to be, you're going to be tempted and pulled into autonomy and independence from, from God and from your husband. It's just in your DNA. It's going to be stronger with some of you, but that's, that's because of Eve. And men, here's your part. Here's what God says to us. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. The ground was supposed to be a blessing, just like your husband was supposed to be a blessing. But now it's going to be hard to work. Thorns, thistles, brings, it brings forth. It was going to be easy for you to just kind of go out and cultivate. Now you're going to have to bust your tail. You were going to be passive, because that's our core sin, that we are passive, that we sit back and just let this whole snake thing happen. I mean, what Adam should have been like, wait, I've never seen a snake talking. That's different. Stop talking, snake. Stop listening. Eve, stop. Let's go get God. He'll, he'll clear this whole thing up. But what does he do? He just sits back and watches. This is going to be fun. Man, she's going to eat that fruit. Oh, let's see what happens. He sits back and now God says, you want to be passive? I'm not going to let you be passive. You're going to have to work. And, and the curse fits really who we are and our identity. Man, remember, comes out of the ground. So what's cursed? This relationship with the ground. It's hard now. Works hard. Women, you came out of the man. He's supposed to be a blessing. What is your biggest problem in life sometimes? Is your man. Right? It's, 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 it's fits. This is all because of sin. And what we need to do as the church, the people of God, is get back to a redeemed view. Even in this passage where it seems like there's a lot of brokenness and there's not a lot of hope, there's this little glimmer of hope. When God is talking to Satan, he's like, I'm going to put my enmity between you and the woman, Satan. Right? You're going to be battling them. And between your offspring and hers, there's going to be one from the woman that's coming. There's going to be this fight. And this one's going to crush your head. And you're going to get him on his heel. And that's what most theologians call the proto-euangelion, the first gospel. This, this already in, in the garden, after they've trained everything, there's going to be one that comes from a woman, the offspring of a woman. And, and he's going to be bruised by you on the heel, Satan. But he's going to crush your head. And it's referring to the Messiah who would come from a woman, from a virgin, who would crush the head of Satan when he was crucified. Yes, his heel got bruised, but when he comes out of the grave, he crushes death and sin, right? That's the hope. And so that's, we're living 2,000 years after that. So now we say, okay, since we have this view of a redeemer, let's have a redeemed view of manhood and womanhood in the church, right? Let's, let's, let's get this foundational piece, all equal, all same value, yet created differently in our discipleship, in our marriages, and our, our function should, should reflect that in a good way so that we're, we're not trying to, to say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. That we're saying, no, this is where we're, we're going to find fulfillment and, and God's goodness. Let me, let me give you just a couple takeaways, and then we'll, we'll worship, all right? Because I know, I know that we're going to get more into practical stuff next week, but just let me give you a couple big ideas. First one's this. Since we are the people of God and redeemed... The church, if no place else, should be the one place that people can find dignity and hope. Right? If nowhere else they're going to be treated with dignity, based on just being image of God bearers, then the church should be y'all. And this goes far beyond just Christian. 
We need to be showing dignity to those people, especially when they've been wounded, especially when there's been sexual abuse, maybe even they don't even agree with you on all these things, when they have different opinions and different everything about sexuality and gender. It does not matter. They are made in God's image and deserve dignity just because of that. Whether or not they ever come to faith in Jesus or believe the same as us is not or not. That this, this should be, the church is often not a place of safety and refuge for those who are struggling with these things, and it daggum ought to be. Here, if nowhere else. All right? So you got to be the one that's willing to move to people, invite people that are different than you. The, the Imago Day it, it does all sorts of things for, for informing things like this whole 40 days of life and abortion. Abortion has nothing to do with politics. Had nothing to do with it. Has everything to do with Imago Day. Either you were made in the image of God and that starts at conception, or we believe that performance is where our value is. Because if it's just like, oh, when they can live on their own or they're outside the womb, then what you're saying is also when you're 85 and you're losing it, that your kids can take you out to pasture. Because you don't have value anymore, because you can't carry your weight anymore. None of us are saying that. It's the same for babies. They're made in God's image from conception, thus they are valuable from conception. This is the way it is. So it's not political. It informs issues on race and prejudice and racial profiling and all these things. The church should be standing. This is where we ought to be at the forefront saying, Imago Dei, Imago Dei, image of God. When it comes to sex trade and, and you know, the, the, the strip joints, and we have a ministry that reaches out to, to those places because those ladies have value and they're not to be objectified right there's all these implications when it comes to these things when when we talk about slavery that still goes on in the world the, the christian is the one who should say no 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 image of god this is wrong you even go back to the original dred scott case the one, probably this the second worst Decision the Supreme Court, which shows it's not supreme. And in a 7-2 dissension, listen to the dissension, John McLean, who was not diehard Bruce Willis, John McLean, but there's another one. His uh, dissented from this Dred Scott case, which said that African Americans did not have rights that could not be treated as citizens. Here's what he says. A slave is not merely a chattel or a piece of property tied to a, a place. He bears the impre impress of his maker and is amenable to the laws of God and man, and he is destined to an endless existence. He says this is the wrong decision, and here's why. It is an image of God. Good for him. Unfortunately, only two of them, right? But that's where he goes. He says slavery is wrong because it's an image of God, and he's not just a piece of property. He bears the image of his maker. That's, that's what the church should be carrying that torch, and, and if you want an example, look at Jesus. I mean, what did he do with the lepers that everyone hated, that everyone despised, that everyone feared? He touched them. He loved them. The woman caught in adultery that everyone wanted to stone, he embraces. The woman who had been married all these times and was now shacking up, when all the disciples were like, I can't believe you're talking to her, he moves towards, it's an image of God thing. Value, dignity. The church, y'all, I mean, this speaks volumes for things like Ministry in prison and nursing homes where people have forgotten. Maybe you got a, a family member, Uncle Charlie, that no one's visited him for six months. 
You need to go see Uncle Charlie. Let's give you value. Right? Value. That's, that's, a, that's a big takeaway. Second takeaway is this. I know there's a pushback against anything gender-related in, in, in this culture, but we got to understand what this whole mess started because Satan started making people question God. Did God really say? Did God really do? God didn't really want that. Who are you going to believe? The one who wants to destroy marriages or the one who created them and wants them to bring pleasure and joy, right, and fullness? Who are going to believe? The one who created the hammer or the one who's trying to use a, a scooper to hammer? We get into problems when we start saying, God, I know better than you. I'm the pot. I'm the clay. Come on. I'm smart clay. We would be wise to just believe in the goodness. I mean, God said it is good. It is good. It is good. It is very good. And all of a sudden, we know better because we went to college. I mean, we got as a church start coming back to what Scripture says. Because I know that you hear a bunch of junk out there. There is nobody pro men and more pro men and women than the Bible. Jesus was super pro men and women. I mean, the first people get get to see Jesus raised from the dead are who? Are the ladies. Who in that day, the Jewish culture didn't even think that they were valuable enough to testify in a court of law. And the very first people to see the risen Savior and give testimony to it and Jesus for Jesus is women. He is super pro that, pro woman. So were the apostles. I mean, Paul, read Romans 16. You think, oh, Paul is just trying to suppress. Really? Read Romans 16. He lists all these people and how great they were and how they're ministering. More women than men. He's got all these ladies that are like, man, this woman rocks and she's great. This woman's like my, she's like the sweetest lady ever. And these two sisters, man, they're rock stars. And he just goes through. Phoebe's a deaconess. All these people. He's honoring them in a culture that didn't honor him. Even Peter. You say, oh, Peter's a chauvinist. Peter says, husbands, if you do not treat your wives like co-heirs, like fellow heirs, like equals, then God is not going to answer your prayers. You tell me who's, who's anti-men and women. Right? He, they're, they're elevating to the right place, equality but distinction. And we'll cover some of these things next week. But we need to embrace what God has done. It is good. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then finally, there's huge implications for marriage. We don't have time to go into them. We have a marriage class that's unpacking some of these, and we got great resources. But here's the big, here's the big takeaway. In case you, if you're married and you think that you and your wife are the same, then you really had bad counsel, all right? And, or you're just ignorant. Because men and women are distinct. And one of the biggest areas, you know where the biggest area is? The currencies of marriage are not the same for men and women. For a man, his currency is respect, which is why Paul in Ephesians 5 says, ladies, see to that you respect your husband. Women, your, their, their currency is love, which is why Paul says, husbands, make sure you love your wives. Because when a man feels respected, he will respond with love. When a woman is loved, she will respond with respect. Flip side is, when a man is disrespected, he will respond unloving. And when a woman feels unloved, she will respond with disrespect. And it's a crazy cycle or an energizing cycle, according to uh, Love and Respect, which is a great little book for you and your husband to work through if you've never done it. It's the currencies of marriage. And so if you don't know that, you're going to be this and not celebrating your uniqueness. You're going to be 
what, she's not like me. We have nothing in common. Yes, that's right, because she's called female and you're called male. They're supposed to be that way. And you used to, this used to be the most exciting thing about her, and now it drives you nuts, right? Which is, which is the way it works sometimes. And so we need to be talking about these things with our spouse. Maybe a great conversation some of us in our marriages could have this afternoon is, honey, how have I devalued you being woman? Do you, have you ever felt that way? How? So I don't want to do that. And vice versa. That'd be a great conversation. Maybe not easy for some of you, but maybe energizing for the future of your marriage, right? Because there are distinctions, and God has created them different. Intimacy is seen differently for men. Sex is, is intimacy for women. It's the culmination of intimacy. All sorts of differences that we need to talk about and think about, right? But they need to be celebrated and not fought about. We could talk more about that later. We've talked about it before. Let's, let's worship. Biggest thing, though, y'all. Created equal in value, but yet unique uh, in distinction. Uh, and it is good. And God has done it. And all of us are needed. No one can say, the head cannot say, the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Foot cannot say to the arm, I don't need you. Why? Because we're all one. And when we start realizing value is not performance and role is not that, then it's a huge piece for us. And it frees us to be all God that wanted us to be. Let me pray. Why don't you guys stand with us?